I just want to give you a little warning. This is sort of like if you have a family, this is like the kitchen conversation, you know, where you're talking about where are we going as a family, what are we doing, um, and so some of this may or may not fully connect with you this morning, um, but I want to just say this to you. Uh, apart from all that we talk about this morning and the vision for this church and all the elements of that, the most important thing is simply this, is that we believe that there is a God who has not abandoned us. In fact, he has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And that Jesus went to the cross to offer himself atoning sacrifice so that we could be reconciled to God. Uh, and, And he rose from the dead, so he's living such that Because we've been reconciled, we can have a dynamic relationship, a living relationship with this God through Jesus Christ. And that that creates meaning in our lives. It gives us direction. It it helps us to know uh, how to live, how to love, uh, how to do life. uh, And it secures our future with God uh, in heaven. And so whatever we talk about this morning, that's the most important thing. That's the first step. And so if you're exploring what it means to be a Christian or... Um, if this is a, a first time to this church for you, just know that that's the key. And to hang on to Jesus, to, to move towards Jesus, happens when we place our faith, our trust in Him. And so that's the most important thing of everything, anything that we talk about this morning. Uh, so I just want to lay that out there and make sure that those of you who are newer or visiting or seeking um, have that perspective. Because we're going to be talking about some of the, like I say, family issues, uh, uh, kind of the kitchen conversation um, this morning. Now, it's true, studies have shown that it's true that uh, churches are more effective when they have an annual ministry plan. Uh, and so we have had over the last, we're 10 years old, we've had an annual ministry plan each year. And we've got a plan that's uh, in the works right now this year, almost done. We're putting the finishing touches on it. And usually we come up with a specific phrase that uh, articulates what that uh, annual plan is going to be focused on. And what I've decided this year, because we've introduced so many important phrases and terms over the last year or so, so for example, um, the core four, some of you that will resonate with you, the discipleship pathway, um, PAPST, pray, ask, bless, share, tell. We've introduced a number of these key phrases. I didn't want to pile on another one. I'd like us to just sit a little bit with what we've already got and let it sink more deeply into uh, our being collectively. Um, so we do have a plan, and, and, and that's going to be detailed far more uh, than I'm going to talk about this morning. But I wanted to go back, I wanted to kind of go up a level and think this morning, as we talk about the vision for this church, it's sort of about the long game, about the overarching arc of where we are. Now, vision is very much like flying in an airplane. Let me, let me tell you what I mean here. You can be up at the 30,000 foot, And you know when you look out the window and you can see for miles and miles and miles, you don't see much detail, but you see everything uh, all around and it's beautiful. And then the plane starts to come down to 20,000 feet as it's towards landing. And now all of a sudden you can't see as far, but you can see more detail. And then the plane comes further down uh, to 10,000 feet and now you really get to see maybe the contours of the houses. You can You can find your street if you're flying over your house. Um, You can see a lot more detail. And then, of course, when the plane lands, you're looking at the grass right next to the runway. You can see things very clearly, but you can't see as much because you're so much lower. And vision functions like that on multiple different levels. There's the vision, the high up sort of long perspective vision. And then there's the vision that's much closer to the ground. And I find that as people 
we resonate with vision at different levels. So some of us love the really high up kind of big picture, and some of us get excited by the details that are just right close to the ground. And, and, and so we have to sort of appreciate those differences, and we have to function on each level. So let's just say you and your friends, holiday's coming, and you want to do something with your friends. And, and one of you says, let's spend the day together. And for this person, this is sort of the high up vision person, they don't imagine any more detail than that. It's sort of this disembodied idea uh, outside of time or place where we're just going to experience togetherness. And for this person, that's all they need. They, they just love that really high vision. And the next person says, well, uh, I need a little more clarity. Um, let me suggest that we go to the zoo together. Uh, but this person doesn't need much more clarity than that. We're going to end up at the zoo, and it's going to be fun. We'll be together, and we'll be at a, a particular place. But then there's the person who wants a little more definition to it. Um, let's go to the zoo, and we're going to need to eat, so um, we're going to have a picnic. So we'll put together a picnic, and we'll meet at 9 o'clock, and we'll go to the zoo, and then we'll go uh, at lunchtime off and have a nice picnic. It'll be great. This person is bringing the vision down a little bit lower into the detail orientation. And then you've got the person who is just ultra detailed, right? Like, man, this time we have a picnic. Let's make sure and have cheddar, uh, cheese, because uh, the brie was too much for me last time. Uh, we need something. And so this person thinks on a much more detailed level. And, it, and vision takes all of that, right? And it takes people thinking on all of those levels. Uh, so I'm going to talk this morning kind of about the highest level, and then I'm going to try and pop down to the lower level and give you some hints about some of the things that are going on that where the rubber is meeting the road and we're actually um, getting focused. So um, this, is, this, is, this is, we were sitting in church council uh, a few months back, and Kyle said uh, to me, Andrew, what is the end game anyway? Where are we going? Like, you know, imagine you're dead, right, and the church, what is this church doing, right? Um, what, have you, what have we together left uh, collectively? And, and that uh, sparked a series of, of thoughts and conversations, um, and we went back and forth on that. And so that's really what I'm sharing with you this morning is that bigger, that pig, bigger picture. And so uh, I want to talk about the church that we collectively envision this morning. And so I'm going to roll through several of these. And the first one is simply this. We envision a church that brings the gospel to the image bearers. Um, That's every human being, regardless of their circumstances, their race, their socioeconomic status. Um, All of those are are image bearers. We, We envision a church that brings the gospel to the image bearers of the Bay Area through relationships and the exchange of ideas such that people coming to faith becomes the norm. It's a great dream of mine that, you know, over the last several months, I think we've, by God's grace, seen uh, three people come to faith. Um, Praise God for that, right? Um, Would want to see that becoming the norm, that we would just see people coming to faith. Uh, Look with me in Acts 17. This is Paul as he goes into Athens, which was a great uh, city of the day. And I'm going to read a little bit before the portion that I put up there. Uh, Acts 17, verse 16. And most of the, because we're rolling through these, I'm going to put all these scriptures up here. Not every verse that I'm reading, but uh, the key verses I'm going to put up. Anyway, Paul it says, Now while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw 
that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers, so there were lots of philosophers, also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? You ever feel like that when you're sharing the gospel with people? They're thinking, what is this babbler saying, right? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took hold of him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now, all the Athenians, and this is another part that connects with where we live. Now, all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, which is the place where the main place where people would uh, expound their philosophies of life, said, men of Athens, I perceive, and if you're somebody who underlines in your Bible, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim, underline, to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands. And he goes on then to describe the God that he worships using terms and concepts that the people of Athens could readily grasp and understand. What Paul does in Athens is he walks into the city and he first perceives what their worldview is, and then he proclaims out of an understanding of that worldview the gospel. So it's perceiving and proclaiming. And you are, I view, a very precious uh, group of Christians because you're living in one of the least churched areas in the United States. In fact, recently the study said that the Bay Area is the least churched area in the United States. So each Christian who's here is that much more valuable, if you think of it statistically, right, than if you were living somewhere else. Uh, and, and, and so you have this opportunity um, to be present, to perceive this culture from the inside to become a part of it, and then to proclaim into it the gospel of Jesus Christ, to inhabit and then to expound. And I find that Bay Area residents um, have, many of them, because there are so few Christians, have constructed a kind of a straw man of what the Christian faith is like. That the Christian faith is, is sort of like this, I don't have to interact with, with Christians, generally speaking, and so I'll put them to the side, and I will do, you know, whatever that I want to do, and I don't have to worry about that. And my point is that you and I here, we're here to challenge that. To be the presence of Christ, literally to be the body of Christ in the world, in this place. To be the hands and feet of Jesus. So that it's not so easy to just sort of, have a straw man understanding of Christianity and then wash your hands of it and walk away. Because when you know somebody who's a Christian and who's full of grace and truth, what that often does is creates a kind of a cognitive dissonance. Uh, wait, wait, I thought Christianity was this, but now you're in my life and you're kind of a countersign 
and you're, you're different than what I expected, and, and you're full of grace, and, and yet you, you believe these crazy things. What do I make of that, right? See, people, it's not so easy then to dismiss Jesus when we're present, and each one of us is called to that. And we, the genuineness of our faith is seen in how we pursue things like justice and taking care of the poor. That's not the gospel. I want to be clear that when we, when we take care of the poor, that's an outworking of the gospel. When we, when we pursue justice in many ways, that's an outworking of the gospel. But the gospel is essentially proclamation. We can do a lot of nice things, and people will think we're nice people. But if we don't proclaim the gospel, we're missing the one thing that makes us unique, the good news of Jesus Christ. So that's not to denigrate anything we do. I, I want to serve more. I hope our, the gospel starts to seep deeper into us so that we're more in pursuit of justice and bringing together the races and taking care of the poor and all the things that are so important. But let's just not mistake those for the proclamation of the gospel. And proclamation happens here on Sunday morning, but we've been trying to empower every one of us to be able to proclaim. We've talked about the kingdom, the king, the kindness, and the ring, to proclaim the gospel in our own sphere. I could go on and on, but I don't have time. Um, Where does the rubber meet the road here? Well, there's a city in the New Testament that's a lot like the Bay Area. It's called Ephesus. And so starting on October, uh, uh, let's see, second, third week of October, we are going to begin studying the book of Ephesus. And in that, I think we're going to address a lot of the issues that touch with what we're talking about on this particular point. And so that's going to probably take us mostly through the spring. We'll be studying Ephesus together on our Sunday mornings, Ephesians, excuse me, and also uh, in our home groups. And Paul calls the Ephesians to reveal the manifold wisdom of God in the midst of Ephesus. And as we study, that's going to be our pursuit, that we would... We would Reveal the manifest wisdom of God in the Bay Area as his people. That's the first one. That's the longest one. Let me move on to the second one. And this is coming at this from a different angle. We envision a church that nurtures, empowers, and releases waves of believers to live on mission in the Bay Area. So this is kind of coming more from the inside. And the verse that I wanted us to reflect on here is 1 Thessalonians 1, 8. Uh, starting a few verses earlier in verse 2, we give thanks, Paul writes, to God always for all of you. Each person is critical, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. We believe, uh, we envision a church that nurtures, empowers, and releases waves of believers to live on mission. Now, what does it mean to, to live on mission? And we have, leaders have grappled with that statement um, and how to define it. And we're still a little bit in progress with that. But I would say a couple of things about what it means to actually be living on mission. It means to be integrating the gospel into all of life, first and foremost. So your identity, your perception of who you are, um, your, your relationships, um, your view of the circumstances that you're currently in or circumstances you've experienced in the past, the decisions that you make about your, 
resources and your time, um, what you're going to do going forward, all of that isn't just sort of uh, informed by the gospel, but it's infused by the gospel. The gospel is at the center of all of that. The gospel of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and all the entailments of it shape the way that you think about yourself and the people around you and about your, your reason for being and your tasks in life. That's what it means, first and foremost, to live on mission. And out of that place, out of that sort of life that's infused with the gospel, then you intentionally build and pursue relationship with those who are disconnected from God so that you can bring that fullness, Lord willing, into their lives as well. Now, this requires, of course, that we take care of us, of our people, right? That we take care of one another because we can't share what we don't have, right? That relationship with the Lord. We can't share what we don't have. We can't, it can't spill out of us if our cup isn't full. And so we need to nurture and shepherd and make sure that our community is being fed and encouraged and strengthened and taken care of. We have to live out of that fullness. And so in this coming year, and we've already been working on this, we are going to shepherd people better. That's what we're going to do. We're going to shepherd people better so that the fullness of of the gospel takes root. Over the last probably six or more months, we have been building a new support structure for our home group leaders. And some of it's already coming into fruition. Some of it's already happening. We probably have, I would estimate, three more months of working on this to build it out more in its fullness. And what that's going to mean then is that our home group leaders are going to be better taken care of. They're going to be better shepherded. They're going to be better strengthened. They're going to be more full with the gospel so that it can spill out into the lives of the people in their groups and then spill out into the lives of people beyond. That's one of the things we're going to do. And they're being trained uh, according to the discipleship pathway. Uh, Again, we've talked about that, the core four, um, the PABST, all these things that we've been talking about over the last year, uh, being trained in how to create community around these critical concepts around Christ, ultimately. Number three, we envision a church that demonstrates to our cities that a strong church presence is good for the community. And this is part of our witness, um, Jeremiah um, 29, uh, oft quoted uh, in this light, um, perhaps too much so, but it's, it's, it's perfect. Uh, Jeremiah 29, 7 says, But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find welfare. And one of the sweet things has been that God gave us an opportunity to work with the people without homes living on the bulb. And over the last years, uh, this community has rallied around that ministry, and we have seen a number of people housed who were living on the bulb. We've seen uh, people come to faith. We've seen all kinds of things happening through that ministry. And the city of Albany invited us into that. They invited us as an advisor to them on how to work with uh, issues of homelessness in our city. And we're still uh, in that process and still part of that conversation. But the bulb has been cleared. And so we have been thinking about what is our next sort of move? Where are we going to pivot? And we're going to continue to do Count Me In, which we do twice a year. We go out and serve the needy uh, and the poor in our area 
on two Saturdays a year, mobilize as many people as we possibly can. We're going to continue to do that. But we also have felt in, in prayer and discernment and dr- literally driving around and looking, uh, to some extent, our, God calling our, and pivoting our heart towards Richmond. In, in some ways, Richmond is like the forgotten, uh, challenging area uh, of the Bay Area. And so um, we've sensed God, and we've begun to build a relationship with Living Hope Neighborhood Church, which is right in Richmond, has some wonderful ministries going on to serve the poor. And uh, we've had the pastor of that church come and preach. You remember when Aaron Roy came and preached? Uh, And Andrew was just there. Franklin was there uh, yesterday. We're continuing to build that relationship. And so we're pivoting uh, in that direction. That's not to say we also want to do ministry in Oakland and everywhere that God enables us to do that. But that's one specific way in which we want to live that out in the next little while. Uh, Additionally, the Avodah ministry has started. And so uh, we're helping people to integrate their faith and their work to be able to live in the city and to be a person of the city uh, with the gospel uh, infusing all that we do. Uh, so that's, uh, that's kind of how the rubber's meeting the road with that one and many other ways as well that I won't go into. Um, fourthly, we envision a church that leaves an enduring community to encourage and strengthen future generations as they pursue Christ. Matthew 13 31 through 32, perhaps an odd verse, set of verses for this topic, but I'll explain what I mean. Jesus put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And this parable, along with sort of the passage in Ezekiel, that this is based on, has informed our conversation for the last number of years. We envision becoming uh, a church that uh, is is strong, like a a strong tree. Here, the mustard seed uh, in Ezekiel, it's the cedar. We envision that strength so that um, we can provide a shelter and a place for people to come and be nurtured and nourished so that our children can grow up Uh, knowing who the Lord is, being strengthened and encouraged in the Lord, so that when we're all dead and gone, there exists in this place an abiding community focused around the person of Jesus Christ that continues to serve and to minister and to strengthen people. Um, I think of, you know, you think of our our little ones, and sometimes you you, you just can't see them, but is anything but cute. I was looking at Amos as you were leading worship, you know, and just... So now picture Amos in 25 years, though, right? What's he doing? And, and who is he? And what impact is he having in the world? And the little things that we do right now shape that. It's a tremendous stewardship that we have. And so we need to take that seriously and, and, and be good stewards with what we've been given so that we can pass this on to the next generations. I was in Vancouver um, with a family friend who's 81 years old, and he's been serving, well, he's been a a part of and mostly serving the same church since he was three years old, right in what's now inner city Vancouver. He's been the same church since age three. He's now 81. And he was the first one in to unlock the door on Sunday and the last one out to lock the place up. 
81 years, he's been sacrificing and serving and ministering in this church. Why? Because he has a vision for the future to leave something beautiful for the generations that are to come. And that's the call on us. And so where does the rubber meet the road? I'm praying, I think many of us are praying, and the church council's been talking about this, and the church council is leading in this, that we would more fully embrace the call to sacrifice for the sake of the church, to serve, to give time, to give resources, to give our best, so that the church can be as strong as it can be and be something that we can leave for the next generations. And I think of my friend Lauren, 81 years, and what an inspiration he is for me in that. And so we're going to be doing some things. Um, like I said, the church council has been uh, committing themselves to this, but also um, we're going to be structuring things a little differently. We're going to be getting some new uh, online software. We've already started the process to help us organize a little bit better, deal with the fact that we've grown, and it's a little bit harder to keep everybody on the same page. Uh, but we want to do that so that we can serve better and be better stewards of what God has given us so that we can become that that cedar, that tree that uh, becomes the nest for the young and for those um, who have need. The fifth one, we envision a church that trains young pastors and ministers for gospel-centered ministry here and elsewhere. And I'm looking at 2 Timothy 1.6. Let me just start in verse 3. Paul is writing to Timothy, who's this one that he's mentored, this young uh, servant of the Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors with a clear conscience, as I remember you, Timothy, constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I love the sweetness of their relationship. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. For this reason... I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Why in the world I'm crying about this passage, I don't know. Um, You know, it seems to be God moving this way in our congregation to raise up young leaders um, and we have great opportunity for this. It, it really started, well, uh, first formally with Andrew uh, Franklin, and then, and then we brought Josh on as an intern, and then Brent as a resident, and then Jay as an intern, and Sterling as an intern, and now Dakota over at our at San Francisco mission uh, as an intern, and uh, now Cannon has just stepped up to be our next youth intern. Are you here, Cannon? I don't know if he's usually at the second service, but um, Cannon is going to be our youth intern in Ilgen. I know you're here stepping up uh, to work on an internship. I'm in conversation with others about interns. I'm in conversation with people who are far away and want to come and do a residency with us. Uh, and so it just seems like God is moving in this. And, 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 and this isn't just me mentoring people. This is us as a church mentoring young Christian workers. Um, so that they can grow up with the skills that they need to be able to serve wherever it is that God calls them. We hope they're all called here uh, and, and plant churches around here, um, but um, that's not in our control. Um, and so, and, and so uh, it seems like God is using us in that way. When my dad retired, I went to his retirement, and there were 26 pastors um, that he 
they, they, in his context, they call them ministers, but there were 26 that he had um, significantly contributed to um, their lives, and, and they all came saying, yeah, this was, this was sort of uh, my mentor in, in ministry. And so I think it's well within the realm that we could have 27, okay? <laughs> Let's go for 27. I'm not competitive at all. Um, 27. All right. And then lastly, we envision a church that multiplies churches throughout the Bay Area and beyond. Uh, and we'll look at uh, Acts 13, 1 through 3. Acts 13. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And, and I read those verses because you see all the crazy different people that were in the church in Antioch, right? From different backgrounds and races, and it, it, God had assembled this, this group, and it was beautiful. And verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord, and oh, the fact that this comes out of worship is so absolutely critical, that vision comes from worship. That's why it's so important that we gather together with all... I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, vision comes out of worship. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Uh, Antioch was a wonderful church that sent all kinds of people out for ministry. It was a pillar. It was, it was sort of that strong cedar that we talk about, and it was a place out of which people could could move into ministry, and, and, uh, and, and, and we're talking about ministry broadly, right? We're talking about all kinds of ministry in our workplace and everything, but Antioch was that kind of thing. And so we have SF Mission. This is kind of our first foray to begin to work towards planting a church in San Francisco. And um, today, uh, so you know uh, the Complins have been leading a group on Sunday nights, and uh, that group has been growing. They've been adding people to their numbers and, and doing ministry there. And then today, the Browers, who, uh, who were there earlier and have been doing ministry, um, just sort of amazing ministry work, they're going to be starting their Sunday evening gathering tonight uh, for the first time. And this is, this is basically the Browers and all people who are disconnected from God. Uh, and they're going to be doing a Bible study together um, starting that tonight. So this work is already happening, but it's not just through Solano. You all have sort of tithed me to the district, so there's 50 churches in Northern California that uh, I work with uh, to help start new churches, planting new churches, and, and since Solano started 10 years ago, there have been about 10 churches planted, uh, and uh, I've been involved at various levels with all of those. You have given me uh, partly to that, and this morning as we gather here, um, now this is pretty cool. There is about 1,400 more people worshiping the Lord this morning because of those church plants. 1,400 people gathering together this morning, if you take into consideration all of those church plants. And many of those churches have been informed by Solano in terms of, okay, how do you do this or how do you do that? Um, what are you going to do here? What are you going to do here? And you all have contributed to those churches um, you know, in those various ways. And so we praise God for that. And we also think beyond uh, our district uh, to our global missions. We have people that we're supporting in Kenya and the Philippines and the Middle East 
um, all with this idea of multiplying the church through the world. And so, Lord, would you make us um, an Antioch? That's what we want. We want to become an Antioch, right? So uh, just to close this off, you, you say, well, what do I do? Um, what's, what, where does the rubber meet the road for me? What, 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 what do I do um, to be a part of this? I'm excited. I want to jump in and be a part of this. And, you know, again, it's that vision thing. Um, we could give you lots of details or we could speak on a level maybe that's going to be a little bit easier to grasp. And I would say for us to speak on that higher level, let's continue to be the church. And, and, and so that means, in its simplest form, what we do is we gather together on Sunday morning to worship because vision comes out of worship. Not just grand vision, but the vision for our lives comes out of worship. And that's why it's so important to be part of weekly worship because you and I, we need our vision refreshed every single week. And it's in meeting God and being reminded that we are humble servants of the Lord, praising God, taking that posture of submission before God. It's in all of that that, that, that vision comes into our lives. So the application of all that we've talked about this morning with, with our particular circumstances comes uh, to each one of us in unique ways, and it cannot be divorced from worship. So let's continue to grow as a worshiping community. Let's, let's get here with an eagerness to praise God and to, 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 to worship and to meet with God, to have the Holy Spirit move and, and call us and change us and transform us and, and move us forward. We, we, we can just have an eagerness around that and an expectancy about worship. And not just Sunday worship, but 24-7 worship. And then the other box, to just make our church really simple, we gather together on Sunday and worship, and then we gather during the week in community. And it's not even the meeting time or anything like that. It's the community itself. We're part of a smaller community where we're known, where we can belong and find meaning. We call that home group. Being a part of that is a way for us to continue the vision because all that we've talked about together this morning is infused in those communities. And so when we, when we participate, when we gather together around this vision and, and allow God to shape the unique way that we're going to approach it with our sub-community within this church, then the vision starts to become realized. So you don't have to walk out of here saying, okay, what are the six things i got to remember and what do I have to do here and there and, and all that. You don't have to do all that. You walk out of here and say, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recommit to being a worshiper of God. I'm going to be present on Sunday morning. I'm going to get here with enthusiasm and excitement. I want to see the Holy Spirit move. When I have problems, I'm going to go to the prayer area and, and seek out prayer assistance so that I can continue to grow in the gospel. I'm going to study the word, all that. Um, I'm going to give. I'm going to be a good steward with my resources. Uh, I'm going to be obedient to Christ in the call to, to give. That's part of our worship. So, so that's just that's one piece. And then the second one, I'm going to dive into my little community more fully and make myself available. I'm going to serve those people like crazy. And we're going to get together and we're going to pray. I'm going to pray throughout the week for those people. We're going to get together and have meals. And we're going to spend time together. And when somebody has a problem, we're going to rally around that person. And we're going to be the community that God's called us to be. 
And when we engage in that kind of ministry, it's my conviction that this vision, this grand 30,000-foot vision, becomes a reality in a kind of an all-by-itself way. Because the Holy Spirit moves and does His work. So, Lord, we recommit ourselves to You first and foremost. You, Jesus, are our number one. We love You. and We want to serve You and seek You with all of our lives. And we want to give everything that we know about who we are to You. We want the gospel to infuse all of our sense of self or identity, our relationships, our cir- how we view our circumstances, the decisions that we make. So help us to, to help one another um, put the gospel at the center of our lives. And we commit ourselves to worshiping you. Worshiping you with our voices as we gather together, but with also every aspect of who we are, with our work, with our, the way we serve our families, the way we our friends to the people around us, the way that we bring the gospel to those who are disconnected from you. Lord, we want to worship you in all things, and we pray that in our worship you would birth and rebirth new vision that would carry us forward and ultimately achieve the goal that you've called us to achieve as a church, to be your hands and feet in the world and a beacon for your goodness and your gospel to go forth. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.